Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 25 about the struggle of Isaac's children, Esau and Jacob, inside the belly of Rebekah. And we'll learn what the symbolic struggle between these two brothers means for us today. Now, before we get started with our Bible study here for a Monday, we'd like to encourage you to be a part of reaching lost Jewish people in your neighborhood, your area, those you encounter, maybe a doctor, a lawyer, a neighbor, a friend, a businessman, someone you know that's Jewish and needs to be reached with Jewish evangelism materials from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, and Israel Restoration Ministries. These are free gifts that we give out to lost Jewish people. We'll give it to you to give to them, or uh, we'll have it sent directly to them anonymously, but you can fill out the online form and receive that free gift to you or your Jewish friend, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the online form. You can also support these gifts going out to lost Jewish people by donating at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us directly at 800-247-3051. And by donating, you'll be supporting Jewish evangelism, the gospel going to the Jew first, as Scripture commands, and then to the Gentile. You'll be reaching lost Jewish people by supporting the gospel going in a manner in which they need to hear it, which is with Jewish evangelism resources that speak to their heart from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Again, you can donate or get that free gift directly by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or again, Donate online by filling out the online form for a free gift or to support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism. Again, it's located at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher and Jewish born-again Christian, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God, teaching us from the book of Genesis about the struggle of Isaac's children, Esau and Jacob, inside the belly of Rebekah, and what that struggle means for us today. Okay, so... If you'd all like to turn to Genesis 25, then we'll uh, get ready to begin here. Genesis 25, verse 21. So let's look to God. Father, thank you that we can come into the house of God and start a new beginning with God in the Bible. And so, Lord, we dedicate ourselves to that today as we open your word and study. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Genesis 25 and verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of her, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Esau was threescore years old when she bare them, and the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with some of that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. 
And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So far in our studies here, we faced with Abraham and Isaac this obstacle of not having a wife for Isaac. So the promised seed should come into the world. And we were there when we rejoiced when finally, after 40 years, Isaac gets married to Rebekah. And in our last study, we faced with Isaac and Rebekah the next obstacle. That's after 20 years of trying to have children and no children. And then we saw this breakthrough came in verse 21, where we read, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah's wife conceived. And so what we saw here is how this breakthrough came when Isaac took the responsibility as the head of his home to pray for Rebekah, and after that, she concedes. So it's very significant in verse 21 when it says, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. When we read those words, Isaac entreated the Lord, we say, Isaac? Isaac entreated the Lord? I mean, the problem was Rebekah's. And Isaac entreated the Lord? I mean, well, what about Rebekah? I mean, well, what's Rebekah? She just chopped liver? I mean, how come she doesn't entreat the Lord? But verse 21 clearly does not say that Rebekah entreated the Lord for her barrenness for Rebekah, entreated the Lord for Rebekah's barrenness. It does not say that Isaac and Rebekah entreated the Lord for Rebekah's barrenness. The clear statement in verse 21 is that Isaac himself alone entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. I mean, after all, the problem stated in verse 21 was Rebekah's problem. She was the one with the barrenness. But verse 21 does not say that Rebekah entreated the Lord because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of her and she conceived. Doesn't say that. And if this was a matter of God just waiting for any person to pray about this problem, then verse 21 would have read like that. It would have read that Rebekah entreated the Lord for her own problem and God was entreated by Rebekah. But the fact that God was not waiting for any person or the person with the problem to pray to him, God was waiting for the person with the responsibility to pray to him. And who was that person who had the responsibility to pray for the problems of the home of Isaac and Rebekah? That was the papa, the papa, right? (laughs) The papa was God's appointed high priest for the home. See, Isaac is the papa. And as such, he's God's appointed high priest for the home. And God's waiting. God was waiting for God's appointed high priest in the home, Isaac, to get on with it and pray for the home. And when God heard Isaac pray for the home, then God heard and the problem of the home was solved. And that shows us that God has appointed each husband to be the high priest for the home. And as the high priest in the home, it's the husband's responsibility to pray to God for the problems in the home. It's clear that Rebecca was the dominant person in this home. We understand that. It's clear that Rebecca was an overbearing person in this home. We know that. It's clear that Rebecca was the person in control in this home. That's obvious. But even in this home where the wife was dominating 
and the wife was overbearing, and the wife was in control. Even in this home, God waited to hear from his appointed high priest, which was not Rebekah, but was Isaac, even if Isaac was henpecked and dominated over and controlled by his wife. God waited for Isaac to pray before he solved this problem in the home. And we can imagine how God had to wait for 20 years for Isaac to assume his responsibility to pray for the problem in the home. And we can imagine how for 20 years, Isaac would just naturally just would have sat back and said to himself, you know, my wife, Rebecca, has everything else under control. (laughs) And so I'm sure she has this problem of her infertility under control also. My wife has taken care of every problem in the home. She'll be assertive here also and take care of this problem. And I'll do as I've always done and let her do it. Let her take control. After all, it's gone well for me for the past when I've tried to take a leadership in the role to just let Rebecca do it all. And for those long 20 years, Isaac yielded to his wife this role of the high priest in the home and the problem of her barrenness just continued on. Until finally, after 20 years, Isaac rose up and says, I alone am going to pray to God for this problem in my home of my wife's barrenness. And when that happened, then God said, finally, after 20 years, Isaac gets it. You know? Finally, after 20 years, Isaac understands that I have appointed him and not Rebecca as the high priest in this home. Finally, after 20 years, I get to hear from my high priest in this home. And all during those 20 years, when Isaac was God's appointed high priest of his home, and he was yielding in silence to his controlling wife, Jehovah Jesus is saying to Isaac the words he later said in John 16, 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you'll receive. Your joy may be full. For 20 years, Jehovah Jesus has been calling down to Isaac, Hey, Isaac, hitherto, Isaac, you have asked me nothing for Rebekah's barrenness in my name. Ask for an end of her barrenness, and you'll receive it. Your joy will be full. And if James were there, James would have yelled out to Isaac, says, you know, he would have said, you have not because you ask not in James 4, 2. You know, it would have been James. He would have said, Isaac, you have not because you ask not. And we might say, oh, what a difference does that make uh, anyways? I mean, who cares? We would say that. You know, who cares? What difference does it make? Uh, who prays for, for, to God for a problem? All God wants to hear is the problem, oh, just the prayer, and God will answer it. That's not what verse 21 is telling us. Verse 21 is telling us that only when Isaac, as we know, is God's appointed high priest of the home, when he prayed for his home, then God answered the prayer. Husbands, does. How long has God been waiting to hear from his appointed high priest in the home for a solution to a problem that has persisted for a long time in the home? Husbands with dominating, controlling wives. How long has God been waiting for to stop saying, my wife, is taking care of any other problem in the home, and so she'll take care of this problem also. And so, and how long has God been waiting for us to be like Isaac in verse 21? Pray as the high priest in the home. Verse 21 is telling us that the husband is God's appointed high priest in the home, and God waits to hear from him. And so this last week, I had dinner with in the home of this lost Jewish man who has a Christian wife, and their daughter has for a long time, many years, an incurable, terrible stomach problem that really is heading toward life-threatening, through threatening her life. 
you know, this is a daughter that's in her 20s. And um, the Christian wife of this lost Jewish man, she prays. She prays a lot over the problem of their daughter. And she's the only person who prays in that home. But after years and many experts and many clinics, their daughter still is debilitated by this disease. So they're telling me this. And so during the dinner, they were asking me, did I have any suggestions for what they could do? And I said, well, I do, as a matter of fact. Now, they were asking for a medical suggestion. And I turned to the man, and I said, have you ever prayed? And he told me, well, yeah, he goes to synagogue, and he says the prayers. I said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about reciting prayers. I mean, have you ever stretched out your soul to God like Jacob did in Genesis 32? Have you ever done that when his name was changed to Israel? Have you ever stretched out your soul to God in prayer? And said to God, you know, I'm stretching out my soul to you so you heal my daughter. And he said he hadn't done that. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. We're enjoying studying the Bible with Tom Cantor today. But you can study the Bible with Tom Cantor every day. Our messages are free for listening and download at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, you can also have 770 of Tom Cantor's messages on MP3, digital copies of all of his messages and teachings, so that you can listen to it more than just once a day to Tom Cantor and teaching the Bible. You can have all of these messages for a donation of $500 or more. We'll give you all of Tom Cantor's messages, 770 of them, for a donation of $500. We'll send those all to you. It'll help support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism, and you'll get 770 of the best messages from Tom Cantor. 800 247 3051. Call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. So from this verse 21, I told him, he's the husband of the house. And he's God's appointed high priest in this home. This was a problem that God was waiting to hear him pray for, not his wife. And it didn't matter that his wife was a praying person. Because he was God's appointed high priest in that home. So God's waiting. You know, men, we wrongly think that if we have brought in the money to the home, that we fulfilled our God-given responsibility for the home. And after the paycheck has been brought home, all we have to do is just kick our feet up and say, job done, mission accomplished. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Because as the husband in the home is God's appointed high priest, The meaning of the word husband, do very, very well to think of this word husband. What does this word mean, husband? It actually comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word where two words were put together to make this word husband. The word hus is the old Anglo-Saxon word for the word house. And the word band, just like a rubber band, a band means to hold together. So the meaning of the word husband is the person who holds the house together. I mean, Satan wants to break up homes through sin, through sexual immorality, through tragic accidents, through worldliness, through health problems. And the husband's role is the band that holds the house together by fulfilling his responsibility as the high priest of the home. It would be better for us to call the husband, if we really want to do it right, we should call the husband the house band, you know, 
Because he's the house bander. He holds the house together by praying as the high priest for the home. Well, we should look at each person who's a husband in this room today and say, okay, there's Ken. He's the house bander of his home as the high priest. He's praying for his home. There's Jim. He's the house bander. He's praying for his home as the high priest to be kept together. I mean, you just try it. We should just walk around. We should say that house band to Ken. House band. And when we say that, they are holding together the house by praying as God's appointed high priest for the home. And we have a meeting for that, for all the house banders. We come here every week. We come here every week, the midweek prayer meeting. All the house banders should come. Now, we come now to verse 22, where it says, And the children struggled together within her. She said, If it be so, why am I thus? She went to inquire of the Lord. See, when it says in this verse that children struggled, it meant that they were thrusting Rebecca forward. I mean, she maybe tried to walk, and all of a sudden she's just being lurched forward. You know, this was, um, this was no kind of situation where Rebecca says to Isaac, Isaac, honey dear, come over here. I can feel the baby moving. You know, this is like she's about knocked off her feet because this strong thrusting action and rebecca went to her friends and they you know i said is that normal is this normal is this what you expect my first pregnancy and they'd say no darling that's not normal you know they said, it just was very very violent type of thing going on so when you look at verse 22 and you remove the italics it reads like this if so why i thus in other words here we see what's really happening in the mind of rebecca as she's reasoning within herself and she says well if isaac has prevailed in prayer what's wrong why am i in this state the struggling in the room here is just it's overtaking me it was to demonstrate to rebecca and to us that there was something far more fundamental than a complication in her pregnancy See, this struggling in her womb was symbolic of a fundamental struggling between those who accept Jehovah Jesus as their Savior and those who reject Jehovah Jesus as their Savior. See, there were two brothers that were struggling here in her. Now, who were the first two brothers who struggled in the Bible? Cain and Abel, first two brothers struggling in the Bible. Very interesting, the description about that, as it says in Genesis 4 through 5. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And it says this, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, countenance fell, verse 8 of Genesis 4. Cain talked with his brother, with Abel his brother. Came to pass when they were in the field. Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. See, Cain's hatred was so great towards Abel that when Cain was just talking with Abel, he couldn't control his anger. His rage just went over the top and it says that he rose up and he kills him. He murders him. He couldn't control his anger against Abel when he talked with him. He got more and more angry as he talked with him. First murder in the Bible. And the big question is, why? Why did Cain become so angry with Abel that he killed him? Just because of what it says there about Cain and Abel and those four important words after their names, which I tried to emphasize when I read it. Read it. Because verse 4 says, And the Lord had respect to Abel and to his offering." And it says in verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. See, when God looks at Cain, he doesn't just see them as Cain and Abel. God sees each person with his offering. And so God sees Abel and his offering. God sees Cain and his offering. And these verses do not say that God had respect unto Abel and to Cain. He didn't have respect. doesn't say that. These verses say that God had respect to Abel and his offering. 
And God did not have respect to Cain and his offering. See, God doesn't just see Abel, and God doesn't just see just Cain. He sees Abel with his offering. He sees Cain with his offering. And God's decision to respect or not respect Abel and Cain there are based on their offerings. That's why it says Abel and to his offering, Cain and to his offering. It's all about the offering that each one brought. See, Abel was accepted and respected by God because of the offering that he brought, and Cain was rejected and not respected by God because of the offering he brought. It's all about the offerings. It's all about the offerings. And the same is true for each person today. Just as Abel and Cain, God looks at every person and he asks the question, what offering is each one bringing? If a person brings the blood offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, then he's accepted and he is respected like Abel. But if a person brings the filthy rags of his own righteousness and his good works, then God rejects and he does not respect that person as he did for Cain because of his offering. See, as it was for Cain and Abel, so it's still about the offering that's brought today for sins and that determines if God is going to accept or reject, if God is going to respect or not respect a person. God tells us today, what's the offering? that we should bring to be respected, accepted by God. He says that in Isaiah 53.10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, that verse says that it pleased God to bruise Jehovah Jesus. He was bruised on the cross when he died for our sins. And then it says that each person is to make his soul an offering for sin. See, it says that if a person does that, then God will see that person, his seed, and he'll see him as a seed. He'll give him eternal life and prolong his days, and he'll use him. Pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. But it all comes down to the statement, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. It's very interesting when you look at that literally what it says in the Hebrew, which are four Hebrew words, im tasim asham nefsho. See, the first word, im, means if. It doesn't mean when. It means if. See, if. It's a word means if. So by starting off this phrase by im, it means if, a great decision is placed here in this phrase. This is an im. This is an if. If a person can decide to make his soul an offering for sin or a person can decide to not make his soul an offering for sin, it's a crossroads. The word, this word, im, if, immediately sets before us this is a matter of a person's own free will or its choice. Each person comes to this im, this if, fork in the road, and has to decide. This way, make his soul an offering for sin. That way, don't make his soul an offering for sin. Then the next Hebrew word, im, tasim. Tasim means to put. Tasim was first used in the Bible in Genesis 2.8 when it says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. See, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he tasim, he put, he tasim the man there. God took, he took the man, and he put him there in the garden. I don't know what he did. He picked him up and put him down there. See? But he put him there. That's the point. So the second word in Isaiah 53.10 of tasim is saying, if you put, if you put, and then we ask the question, put where? That's what the next two words tell you. Third word is asham. Asham is the Hebrew word for guilt. If you put your guilt, if you put guilt, your guilt, nefsho, fourth word, on his soul, his soul. So literally, this is saying, if you put your guilt on his soul, 
Man feels guilty because he is guilty. There's nothing wrong with the feeling of guiltiness. That's a warning signal that comes from the conscious that a person is guilty. You know, a leading so-called Christian psychiatrist once said about unmarried couples who came to him for counseling, and he said, I'm not worried about unmarried couples sleeping together. I'm worried about their guilt complex. The reason a person feels guilty is because he is guilty. There's nothing wrong with the internal warning light of the soul which is feeling guilty. What a great day of studying the Bible here for a Monday with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. We appreciate you listening, but we also need your support to continue airing on this station in your city. Now you can support us by going online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, donate one time online, or you can call us and be one of our monthly supporters at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. You can support us for a donation of any amount. Maybe it's $5, $10, $20 a month. Something that will be an encouragement and keep this Bible teaching radio program going that you love so much. We have lots of downloads of this program that are free and made available free because of your support and donations. And that's also online at friendshipwithgod.org. But again, we need your support. So please donate by calling us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Now, if you're in the Southern California area and would like to work full-time for Tom Cantor's foundation, Israel Restoration Ministries, that goes to reach Jewish people, and you'd like to be a full-time missionary or volunteer working with us, specifically in the Southern California area, if you have interest in this, please call us also at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go to israelrestoration.org. Or for Tom Cantor's first and original Creation Museum, go online to creationsd.org.